All right, my name is Keith, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 1 today. Mark chapter 1, in fact, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 45, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. But as we're getting ready to do that, uh, keep in mind that God's Word is full of all kinds of examples of the demonstration of God's power in people's lives and in the lives of, of groups of people. Uh, we think about people like Noah and Moses. And then there was a, a king by the name of Hezekiah who got sick and prayed to God, and God said, okay, I'll heal you and give you 15 more years to live after that. Then, of course, we get into the New Testament. We see, uh, like we're going to see today, that Jesus was doing great and wonderful things. Peter and Paul did a lot of amazing things, and, and other folks as well. But today... Oftentimes, the power of God is marginalized in our society. It's as if it it sometimes really doesn't even exist. And uh, the sad thing is that a lot of people seem to have a deistic view of God. That God created everything, and now he's just sitting back watching how everything goes on. And and we're we're all just kind of watching it happen as well. The sad thing is that even people in the church have come to the point where sometimes they wonder, is God still working? Does God still do miracles? And does God ever really answer prayers? We're going to be talking about that this morning. The Apostle Paul said this, The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. But in power. And we're going to be looking at this whole idea of the power of God. Last week, uh, we looked uh, and Scott talked about in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus encounters a demon right in the middle of of the synagogue where he was teaching and how Jesus cast that demon out. And then we were encouraged to look at the word of God and how the word of God is a part of that great power that we have to overcome any kind of evil. Well, this week we're going to look and see that the power of God is still a reality even today in everyday life through Jesus Christ and by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. So, how many of you, let me ask this question, would like to see God's power more at work in your life? Anybody here? Okay, yeah. What we all would like to see some powerful things happen for God in our lives. And uh, we're going to be talking this morning about how we can experience the power of God in each of our lives in a greater way than perhaps we've experienced it in the past. We're going to look at three different uh, vignettes that happen in this passage of Scripture here, uh, three different little uh, stories of, of what Jesus encountered when he was there uh, living here on this earth in, in Galilee in the first century. And we're going to find out that Jesus reveals three things, three very important things, the purpose of God's power, the pipeline of God's power, the personal nature of God's power. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, 29 through 45. If you'd like to, please stand if you're willing and able as we read God's word together and see what God says here. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. He came and he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or who were oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. 
And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, well, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. These are God's words for God's people. You may be seated. So as you can see, this is a, a little bit longer passage, but don't worry, we'll be out by the time the race starts. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. We, we won't be that long. But we are going to look at these three things that Jesus reveals to us. Number one, the purpose of God's power. And that purpose of God's power is to make God known, to provide redemption for us, and to glorify God. That's why in verse 38 he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You see, he came to make God known. He said, I want to go preach to them. That word for preaching is to proclaim the message of who God is and what God wants for their lives. And, and so he came to provide redemption for us. And he did that specifically for those folks by physically healing them, which led to their spiritual healing. He was cleansing their body and their soul. Many times we don't understand that our greatest ailment is not a sickness that we may have. It's our sin. Our greatest problem is not demons, but it's the destruction of our relationship with God because of our sin in our lives. So Jesus came ultimately, and the purpose for his power was to glorify God and to restore broken people in their relationships. Now it starts out in this first part where uh, they left the synagogue, they went to Simon and Andrew's house with James and John, and then it says, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. Immediately they told him, and he went and he took her by the hand. He lifted her up out of the bed where she was with this terrible fever that she had, and he healed her, and then the fever left her, and what'd she do? She went and served them. So it was a great healing that God gave through Jesus to Simon's mother-in-law. I don't know whether you thought about this before or not, but Peter was married. That's how he had a mother-in-law. And so Peter was serving God as a married man. So this goes to show you that there are some churches that say, well, no, you, you can't be married and serve God. Well, according to this, Peter, an apostle of Christ, was married, had a mother-in-law, and Jesus actually healed her. So he continued to serve God. Well, the Sabbath was over. That evening, see, that morning was still the Sabbath when they saw Jesus cast out the demon that we'd heard about last week. And, and then when the evening came, the Sabbath was over. So they brought, look in verses 32 and 30 through 34. At evening, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not per permit the demons to speak like he did that morning because they knew him. 
It's interesting, when you look at these words, it says because they, were, they brought those who were sick with disease. And that meant, uh, those, those words literally mean these people were suffering terribly. They were really, really anguishing with all these different diseases and, and physical problems that they had. And those who were oppressed by demons were those who were violently controlled by demonic forces. And what did Jesus do, it says there? It says, he would heal them. He healed the ones who were sick and cast out many demons. That word for healed is interesting in the Greek. It's therapeuo, from which we get the term therapeutic. So Jesus was very therapeutic for these people by healing their body and helping their body and their soul to find relief through Jesus Christ. Well, that evening, in, uh, Matthew wrote these words talking about the, the very same event. He said, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You see, the lion is roaring here. The lion is roaring because with one word, he cast out the demon and heals all those who were sick. We don't know what that word was. It may have been out or go. But just one word from Jesus meant these demons had to flee and stay away. So it's interesting when you see Jesus' power at work here and how Jesus utilized this great power that he held and that he utilized. It's different and radically different than a lot of people that we see in the past and then sometimes even today we see people who have supposedly great powers from God but that, you know, Jesus didn't use it to gain fame or to increase his authority, or to get riches, or for personal advantage. That's not why Jesus used his power. It was to make God known, and ultimately to bring God glory by helping others in need. Now it's interesting here, uh, Jesus, notice it says he didn't allow them to speak. Why didn't he? Why all of a sudden did, it, did he, the demon speak in the morning, and in the, in the evening he, said he didn't allow them to speak at all? Why was that? Well, first of all, because it wasn't time for Jesus to be revealed as to who he really was. And then let me give you an illustration of this way. Let's imagine for just a moment that each one of you decide you're going to run for the, the mayor of the city of Greenwood, okay? That's what you want to be. You want to be the mayor here in Greenwood. And so you hold this big rally and you hope that thousands of people show up to come to this rally to find out what you're going to do to make Greenwood a better place. And, and what you do is, as you're there, you're having this big rally, and in the middle of your speech, here comes the town drunk. Now, everybody knows this town drunk, and they know that he is a drunk, and in fact, he kind of staggers up in stage right in the middle of what you're saying, and he puts his arm around you, and you can smell the alcohol on him, and he says, you need to vote for this person. They would do a great job as mayor. Now, is that somebody you want to vouch for you? Is that somebody who's a good character witness? You see, that's what it liked, it's like to have the demon say, hey, you're Jesus, the son of God. You want somebody of good character to speak for you, not the spiritual forces of evil to be a character witness for you. So that leads us to another interesting question. Do demons exist today? Do demons exist today? Well, I believe according to God's word and, and some of the things that we see, they do. Now, typically, the people we run into are not usually those who are violently possessed, violently possessed like many of the people that Jesus encountered. Most of the people that we encounter are just those who are influenced, just influenced by the spiritual forces of evil. 
And, and we need to remember, as, as Scott mentioned last week, there are two sides, okay? You have good and you have evil. And they're battling it out. Now, it's not e equal, <laughs> remember? Because Jesus, when he just spoke one word to these evil forces, they had to flee. So it, it, these aren't equal powers fighting at each other. You have God's goodness and then the spiritual forces of evil that have been granted by God the opportunity to exhibit some powers and some influence today. When, uh, when Paul was recounting his, his conversion to Christ after encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, when he got to Damascus, here's what Jesus said to him when Paul was retelling the story. He says, I am sending you to open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see, Jesus is saying here to Paul, you're gonna go and fight this battle between these two forces. You have good, you have evil. You have the forces of darkness and the forces of light. You have the power of Satan and the power of God battling against each other. And Paul was going to be the spokesperson. He was on Satan's side, but when he was converted to Christ, he now is on God's side. It was interesting. John said this, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That explains what's going on today, doesn't it? This whole world is under Satan's control. Now, God in his sovereignty is still in control, but he is permitting Satan the opportunity to have great influence all over our world and over the world system that is currently functioning. But God is still sovereign. Paul said it this way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual realms. So we need to keep our spiritual eyes open to see what's going on around us, to see is someone a part of God's good kingdom and the kingdom of light, or is someone under the influence of Satan and the kingdom of darkness? And it's one or the other, one or the other. Are you for God or are you against God? That's a question we all have to answer. Are you for Satan or are you against Satan? You know, there are some people who think, now wait a minute, you know, I, I'm not for God and I'm not for Satan. I'm just kind of in the middle here trying to figure out what I want to do and how I want to do it. And, and so they think, well, you know, I, I'm just right in the middle. No, that's a delusion. That's what Satan wants you to think. You see, Jesus said, if anyone is not for us, he is what? Against us. Yeah, so we're either a part of God's camp and his forces or we're on Satan's team. It's one or the other. We may try to play that fence and sit on that fence, but it doesn't work. Which side are you and I on? Now, how do we recognize what is evil and what is wrong? Who are the spiritual forces of evil and how do we recognize them? Well, as Scott mentioned last week, if we know the word of God, then we can know what is wrong and what is right. So if someone is doing something that is against God's word, whose side are they on? Not God's. They're on Satan's side. Jesus himself said, uh, said this, you will know them by their fruit. 
You can look at someone's life and see what's coming out. Are they doing the things that are good and righteous and pure? Uh, that's why when we look at what John said in 1 John, he said, by this it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Practice righteousness. If there is someone who is doing evil, who is doing that which is wicked, who is not doing what is right in God's eyes, according to the word of God, then they are not of God, John said. They are on Satan's side. And if they don't love their brothers and they don't love people around them, then they're on Satan's side. They're not on God's side. John also said that those who confess Jesus came in the flesh and acknowledge him as Lord, they are on God's side. They're on God's side. So which side are we on this morning? Which side are, are you going to be on tomorrow when you're at work and you're around your coworkers and, and you see all the things that are happening there? Whose side are you going to be on? It's one or the other. Now, how can we experience the power of God over the spiritual forces of evil? Well, John said it this way in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, who is it that's in us? It's God who is in us through the Holy Spirit, right? So with the Holy Spirit in us, we are greater because God is greater. Repeat that phrase after me if you would, please. God is greater. Ready? God is greater. Now, if Christ is in me, then I am greater. Let's say that together. If Christ is in me, then I am greater. Now, not because I'm so great, but because Christ is in me. You see, we are greater because the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And who's in the world? Well, we already heard that verse where it's Satan and the demonic forces who are in the world. And then finally, Paul told a young man named Timothy, he said this, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That's what God has provided for us. So Jesus, and we see here in this first part of the passage we read, he is revealing to us God's purpose, uh, the purpose of God's power, and that is to make him known and to bring God glory. Well, secondly, we see Jesus reveals the pipeline for God's power, the pipeline for God's power, the way that it functions, how we, we are able to see that power working, and that is prayer. Notice verse 35, rising very in the morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see, this was between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning when Jesus got up to go out to this desolate, desolate place, and what was his purpose for going there? To pray to pray. It was his regular practice. Luke 5, 16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was something Jesus did regularly. Now, why would Jesus need to withdraw to desolate places and pray? It was because he needed and he wanted communion with the Lord God, and he had a dependence on the Lord God. That's why he did that. That's why he did that. That's why we should do the same thing. Interesting, uh, James said this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you as well. And then he goes on and tells us even more. 
You see, if we concentrate on the Lord God and we draw near to him, we don't have to worry about the spiritual forces of evil. And we don't have to concentrate on demonic things that may be happening around us and throughout the world. We need to concentrate on God and who he is and how he's greater and how the one who lives in us makes us greater than the one who is in the world. Let's look at Jesus' prayer. Three things happened here when Jesus prayed. First of all, it was planned. It was planned. Notice, what did Jesus do? He didn't just wake up that morning and say, well, I can't sleep, so I think I'll go pray. It was a regular habit. He planned his prayer time. He said, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to lose perhaps some sleep. And I'm going to get up somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, for some people, early may be between 9 and 11 a.m. <laughs> but, but Jesus got up between 3 and 6 a.m. You don't necessarily have to do it at that time. But that's what his practice was. He planned his prayer time. Here's a question for all of us. When's the best time in your, in your schedule to pray? When is the best time for you to plan a special prayer time to be with the Lord God? Well, then not only was his prayer planned, but it was also private. It was private. You see, he needed to listen to God and to talk to God. So here's another question. Where can you go so that you're not distracted by anyone or anything else for your time of prayer? Where can you go? Maybe it's to the basement. Maybe it's to another room in the house. Maybe you have to retreat to your car in your garage. Maybe you need to be in your car while you're driving to work. Or maybe it's just getting up early like Jesus did and going to the kitchen. But where can we go to be without distraction so that we can pray like Jesus prayed? Interesting that Simon and those who were with him, verses 36 and 37, search for him they found him and and he said to him hey everybody's looking for you well now we know why jesus had to go and plan that time and find a private time right because that was the only way he'd have any time to pray he needed to do that but jesus did one last thing not only was it playing the private it was prolonged prolonged in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, uh, Luke records that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, and he was there all night. Now, I won't ask when's the last time we all prayed all night, okay? I know that's a lot. But when's the last time we took a prolonged time of prayer? You see, we need to pray without ceasing and be able to fire off a prayer to God, uh, whatever's going on around us, and say, you know, Lord, needs your help with this situation, or thank you, Lord, that you took care of this. Those are great prayers too, but that shouldn't be the only kind of prayer. Jesus had planned private and prolonged prayer, prolonged prayer. Uh, years ago, I remember I went to a, a prayer seminar and there, the president of a publishing company was speaking there. Just an amazing man of God. Just humble, and, but, but understood what a prayer relationship with God really was. Every morning for at least two hours, he would get up and he would pray. Spend time worshiping God, praying, reading his word, you know, doing those things because he needed that. He, I mean, he was a busy man. He ran a publishing company. And he shared with us exactly what he did to 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 see that happen. But here we have the Son of God. Remember, Jesus is 100% God. He's a 100% man. But he needed to retreat. 
He needed to regain that strength and that power to do God's will, so he planned it, he went privately, and he did it for quite a while, prolonged time. If Jesus needed that, don't you think you and I need that as well? I don't know about you, but I'm not there to being equal with Jesus yet. Never will be. So I need that if he needed that. Let me give you an, an illustration of that. You know, we talked about the spiritual forces of evil and, and how, you know, some of us are in the kingdom of God and some of us are still in the kingdom of Satan. Well, this light, let's say I, I, want, I want to shine the light on some things, okay? So what I need to do is I need to turn the light on right. I want to be a part of the darkness or the light rather than the darkness. So, okay, I push the button, turn the light on, well, nothing happened. Why did nothing happen? Why didn't, it, why didn't this light turn on? Because I guess it's just me, you know, functioning under my own power. But, oh, okay, we've talked about this morning, we've seen in God's word that the pipeline for God's power to work in our lives is, is prayer. So, you know, maybe if I take time and I plug into the power source, which is God, then maybe, maybe I can get this light to work. Ah, there it is. I tried to turn it on myself, didn't work. But when I plugged into the conduit of the power source, the light worked. That's the way it is when we try to live our lives and function without praying to God. It's like not being plugged into the power source. It's something that we, we should want to do and we definitely need to do. Now let's look at some very practical things about prayer. You know, I don't know what, what you do during your prayer time. You might use a journal. That's a great thing. You might use a, a tablet or a computer. I love doing the confession of my sins on the computer because I, you know, highlight it and delete it and it's gone, just like Jesus says it's gone. There are a lot of different ways to pray. Let's look at some scripture verses to talk about some practical things that James, the, the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, said. He said, starting verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, now this is an interesting practice that we might want to start doing a little more frequently. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel like a righteous person, but you know what a righteous person really is? It's someone who has been declared righteous by Jesus Christ, whose sins have been forgiven and covered by our Lord and Savior, and whose righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. So as a Christian, I am righteous, whether I feel righteous or not. So when I pray, my prayers have great power according to what this passage says. And then he gives an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain for three and a half years it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and guess what? Heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God answers prayer. Does he still answer prayer today, though? Does God still answer prayer? 
Well, let me give you an illustration. Three weeks ago, I had a friend who called me up and said, listen, I, I really would love for you to pray for me, please. Uh, you know, I, I've asked you and some others to pray, if you would, please, because I've got to go have a biopsy, and I'm not looking forward to the procedure, nor the possible outcome of this, and I need you to pray. So I said, okay, be glad to pray. So I prayed, and then uh, after the, the day of the procedure, you know, she, she called me back and said, hey, I got some interesting news for you. I said, what's that? And she said, you know, uh, they, they re-scanned things, and you know the spots that they saw before, they weren't there. And so they didn't need to do the biopsy, and they said, hey, we'll just keep checking on this once in a while to see what's going on. And we both took time to just talk about, wow, thank you, God, for answering those prayers that many people sent up to you. And that was three weeks ago. God answers prayer even today. Even today. Now, what if we pray and nothing seems to happen? I don't know about you, there have been times where I've prayed and prayed and prayed and it seems like nothing's happening. Not like the one three weeks ago where it happened in like three days. Is God still answering our prayers? Yes, he is. One of the keys about when someone says, would you pray for me about this or would you pray for this situation? One of the first things we need to do is go to God and say, okay, God, how should I pray? How should I pray about this? What is your will in this situation? Because that's one of the great qualifiers that we see all throughout Scripture. If we pray according to his will, he gives us what we ask. But we need to find out what is God's will. Sometimes, like in that case with my friend, God's will was to heal her quickly. Sometimes people suffer for a while longer and then God heals them. Sometimes they have to live like the Apostle Paul with that suffering for years and it never goes away. And sometimes the ultimate healing only comes when God takes them to his presence. I want to encourage you, there's a picture of this book. Great book, I want to encourage you to read. J.P. Moreland was here a few years ago. It's called A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles. And it's instruction and inspiration for living supernaturally in Christ. Great book, great book. Highly recommended uh, to read that book. And he even goes through some practical ways to pray for those who need uh, physical healing. So we've seen now that, that Jesus has revealed the pipeline for, for power, which is prayer. The, uh, the purpose for that prayer is to make God known and to also glorify God. But let's look at what Jesus reveals. Uh, the last thing that he reveals this morning that we see is the personal nature of God's prayer. God cares. God cares. God loves you. Would you turn somebody next to you, please, and say, God loves you. All right, now if you can, turn to the other side and say it to somebody the other direction. God loves you. Yeah, God loves you. Now let's look and see how God showed his practical caring and compassion for the people in the first century. Verse 40 and 41 says, and the leper came to, to him, talking about Jesus, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can, that word there is the word from which we get the term dynamite, because it's a word for power, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now we need to look at what is leprosy. What is leprosy? Now leprosy in the first century was, it was, it was a terrible disease. In fact, there was no cure except divine intervention of some kind. And then we have a picture here of somebody who's uh, struggling a bit with leprosy. Uh, 
Lepers were outcasts. They were lonely. They were supposed to stay 50 paces away from anybody else. That's, that's a little bit farther than just six feet for social distancing. It's a long way away. And so they were told to stay away. They had torn clothing. They, they were supposed to have their hand over their mouth while at the same time they're yelling, unclean, unclean. And we see that's what Luke, or Leviticus 13 tells us. But Jesus moved with pity. Notice what Jesus did. First of all, this guy comes up to him and he kneels right next to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? Moved with pity, he reaches down and he actually touches this leper. And he's made clean instantly. He's healed. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he cares for us. He says, I am willing, be clean. You see, God wants to personally touch each of us. That's how much he loves us. He wants to personally touch us. He cares for us. Um, uh, in preparing for this message, I was reminded of, of 20 years ago when God really uh, had a personal way to reach out and touch me and, and help me to be reminded of his great power. 20 years, a little over 20 years ago, um, we were ready to have our youngest child, and my wife said, I, I'm just not feeling good. There's something wrong here. We better go to the hospital and get this checked out. And, and so we went to the hospital, and uh, they did an ultrasound, you know, pulled out uh, and did a, the sonogram and looked at it. And, 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 uh, and then the doctor came in and said, uh, okay, and tried to show us on there, said, we've got a problem here. And it was called a placental abruption. He said, you know, the, uh, the, the placenta, the birth sac, was pulling away from the uterus. And that's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing, especially for the child. And so they sent us from, from one of the local hospitals here up to IU, and we, we go up there to the, uh, to the medical center, and, and you know, doctor walks in. This is, uh, we had to wait a day or two, and he comes in, and, uh, and he pulls out the same machinery they used at the last hospital. And, of course, in the meantime, we have, uh, you know, the whole church is praying uh, for this situation. And, uh, and he, he pulls out things, and, and then he, he looks at the nurse and says, now, it was in the, I think it was the upper left side, he said, right? She said, yep. And he, he says, okay. You know, he's looking, and, uh, and he says, I, I'm not seeing anything here. It looks good and healthy to me. And, and, and he said, what are you guys? You know, I said, may I look? And he said, yeah. And, and, and so he, he showed me, said, see, here's where supposedly it was pulling away. And I said, you know, that looks way different than it did the other day. And he said, well, there's nothing there. There's no problem here, so we, we might as well send this lady home. Went home a few weeks later. Uh, our youngest daughter, who was born, and got to see her a couple weeks ago down in Florida. She's doing really well. God stepped in personally, showed me his love, showed us that he cared about our family, and healed that situation because it, it was real. It was there, but God had healed it. Interesting, the doctor in, in, at the other hospital was not a believer because he said, I said, well, God healed him. He said, well, I don't know what happened, but there's no problem here. <laughs> and that was a great opportunity for us to, to say, God did this. God did this. God still heals. He still performs miracles. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer for your cleansing, Moses, all that he commanded them for a proof. 
But he went out and began to talk freely about it, spread the news Jesus could no longer enter the town, but had to go out in desolate places. Why not let, let this man tell everyone? Well, first of all, the law said that if someone had leprosy, they needed to go to the priest to prove themselves that they were healed. And it would have been a proof to those leaders that this man truly was healed. And Jesus also didn't want to be known just as a miracle worker because it was not yet time for him to fully divulge who he was and what was going on. Now, this excited man who was a leper was healed by God, wasn't he? And I don't know about you, I'd be excited about that too, knowing that I was going to die of this terrible disease that just ate away at my flesh. And now it's not here anymore. I'm healed. But this man, let's be honest, he was sinful. He disobeyed a direct, stern warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of an illustration of all of us, isn't it? Anyone here ever not been disobedient to God? Okay. In other words, I guess, is there anybody who's perfect who's in this place today? None of us. We're all sinful. All of us are sinful people who need a Savior. Someone to save us from our sin. And Jesus is the one who does that. He, lo he loves us so much that he was willing to go to the cross for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one thing that makes a, a difference in our lives today and for eternity. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he never deserved to die. And he gives us that grace and mercy so that we can also Live forever with Christ. It's not something we earn or that we deserve, but he gives it to us, doesn't he? That's how much he loves us. God loves you, and he loves me. You know, to be, uh, to be, be able to move from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom is much better than just being physically healed. You see, when we're spiritual, spiritually cleansed by Jesus Christ and forgiven of all those sins, we can now stand before God as righteous and holy because the blood of Jesus covers over all of our sins. So if you're here this morning and you haven't yet fully surrendered your life and trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you, give up being a part of Satan's kingdom. Join the kingdom of God. Let Jesus cleanse you of your sin. Trust in him for your salvation. He's the only one who can fully cleanse our heart, mind, body, and soul. That's why Paul said it this way. He was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. We are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. By the power of God. You see, to sum up, the personal nature of God's power is that he loves us. He cares for us. And he has an unconditional love that you will never experience from anyone or anything else like Jesus. So if you're already a Christ follower, let Jesus love you and love him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The pipeline of power, of course, is prayer. God wants to have a relationship with us. Hopefully we love him enough that we will take time, that we will make time to pray so that we're connected with the source of the real power in our lives. 
And then finally, the purpose of his power was to bring glory to God and to make him known. We can do that to the people around us to show the difference between the kingdom of darkness and that we're a part of the kingdom of light. Let me close out with this quote. Anything God has done, this is by A.W. Tozer, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. All things are possible with God. Let's pray. Father God, we do want to thank you so much that everything is possible through you. Lord, we we don't just, it's hard to fully grasp your power in us through the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to understand it a little bit more after seeing how Jesus did and revealed so much about your power to us through this passage here in Mark. We thank you that he revealed it to the first century Christians. We thank you that you've revealed it to us today. And we thank you that uh, as long as your word exists, it will be there for others to know as well. Father, we just want to praise you for the privilege we have to become a part of your kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thank you for making that possible through Jesus Christ. Father, for all those who have heard uh, today, we just want to pray that they would just desire wholeheartedly to turn away from Satan and his influences and to follow Jesus Christ and be a part of the kingdom of light. Thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.